1: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
2: Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Tuesday afternoon, November 28th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. As you prepare for your next trip, including overseas, there are some mistakes you can avoid through planning. We'll cover that in our next segment on this Travel Tuesday. But right now, the latest numbers on home prices are out today. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home, is Rick Sharga, founder and CEO of the C.J. Patrick Company in Orange County, California. Rick, thank you for joining us today. Home prices hitting another record high in September. That's eight months in a row. What does that mean for people who are looking to buy or sell a home, especially in the Chicago area?
3: Well, Rob, thanks for having me. And and you're right. Home prices have hit an all-time high nationally. We're approaching uh, about $400,000 across the country for a median-priced home. And and if you're looking at the Chicago area, the trends are are very similar. Uh, In October, the median price of a home sold in the Chicago metro area was about $350,000. And that was up about 5.8% year-over-year, almost a 6% increase. So whether you're, you're shopping in Chicago or Illinois or across the country for a new home, uh, prices continue to go up, and it's going to be that much more of a challenge to be able to afford the property that you want.
2: Now, uh, we we all know the reasons why the uh, the home market is pretty much locked up right now. You have high mortgage rates that are keeping a lot of people on the sidelines. You have a lack of inventory from people uh, who took advantage of those two uh, and three uh, percent mortgage rates during twenty twenty and refinance, and they don't want to get out of that uh, particular arrangement. But what does that mean for existing homeowners? Then are they they're just sitting? on top of a, a pile of home equity that's uh, grown even larger over the last couple of years.
3: The, the amount of, of homeowner equity across the country, Rob, is at an all-time high. We're looking at somewhere between 28 and $30 trillion of homeowner equity. And unlike what we saw during the Great Recession, people aren't tapping into their, their homeowner equity and using their house like an ATM and, and spending the money frivolously. So it, it's it's hard to feel too sorry for people that are sort of locked into their house right now because uh, they're they're paying a mortgage interest rate that's lower than the rate of inflation. Um, it, it, they're paying a whole lot less than somebody else would have to pay for the for buying the same house at today's mortgage rates. And, and the fact is, they're they're financially locked in place. If you have a three and a half percent mortgage, you sell your house, buy another one for exactly the same price at today's mortgage rates you've literally doubled your monthly payment, and most people simply can't afford that. So until we see mortgage rates come down quite a bit, I don't think we're going to see a ton of existing homes enter the market as properties for sale.
2: We're talking to Rick Sharga, founder and CEO of the C.J. Patrick Company in Orange County, California. Uh, When when we talk about uh, what's going to What's it going to take for this this market to thaw? Uh, you talk about mortgage rates uh, coming down substantially. What is that going to mean, though, for the people who have been taking advantage or are enjoying the fact that they're sitting on top of all this home equity?
3: Well, it, at some point, uh, it, we're, we're seeing these folks tap into some of that equity and buy uh, perhaps a second house, or or they, they decide that it is time for them perhaps to downsize and, and, and leverage some of that equity as well. Um, but but the, the bottom line is that if if you're a buyer in today's market, you might want to look at new homes uh, as opposed to existing homes uh, as a, a more affordable option. There's a very small difference in the median price today of, of new homes versus existing homes. Uh, and some of the builders are actually bringing cash to the closing and buying down the mortgage rate for you. I saw I saw some some uh, builders recently advertising a 4.9% uh, fixed-rate mortgage on homes that you buy through them and, and finance through them. So you, you need to be a little bit creative looking around to buy a house right now. And I think for for current homeowners uh, who who have all this, this equity, they're they're looking at it as as kind of a windfall, uh, and 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 certainly aren't uh, aren't too disappointed with the way the market's been been going.
2: Rick Sharga, founder and CEO of the C.J. Patrick Company in Orange County, California. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up, avoiding some common errors as you plan your next trip. Investing 60 minutes each weekday for planning for the future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Travel Tuesday. Whether you're a first-time or a veteran traveler, there are some basics to keep in mind as you put together a trip abroad. Let's get some tips from Mark Walters with Walters World Travel and Culture. You can find him on YouTube. You can also find him in beautiful Shambana, teaching associate professor of business administration at the University of Illinois, Geese College of Business. Mark, thank you for joining us today. And when it comes to, uh, when when you're you're planning a trip, and as you mentioned, either you're a rookie or you're just a veteran world traveler, a lot of stamps in that passport. uh, There are some mistakes uh, that you can make. And it seems like the first one is just simply overextending and overscheduling yourself.
4: Yeah, I mean, that's... That's one of the big things. People think, oh, I'm going to Europe, right? And so I'm going to be in Germany. So I'm so in Germany. I'm so close to France. I should go to France too. And the next thing they know, they try to get 10 countries in five days. You're like, people, it's too much. And what you end up doing is just spending all your time at the airport, at the train station, packing and unpacking, and not enjoying the locations you actually want to go to. So I always tell people, don't overdo it. Give yourself a few days in each town to really get as much out of as you can, as opposed to just Seeing your suitcase getting packed and unpacked all the time.
2: What is the optimal length of a trip to, let's say, you're going to Europe and you do want to get uh, the as much of the experience as possible, uh, urban, rural, and and off the beaten path.
4: So I realize most people only have maybe that ten day, like a two weekends and a week in between when they're going to vacation. I usually recommend two weeks to really give yourself the time. But if you only have ten days, I would say split it between three different spots. So you're three, you know, three days in one city, three days in another city, three days in another. And so you can get a big city. So you can do Paris, you know, and be there for three days. And then you spend 3,000 days in the Loire Valley and go see the chateaus there and the castles. And then, hey, you know what? We want the kids to enjoy and learn how to ski. You go over to the Alps for three days and go to Grenoble. You're doing that. You get enough time to really see and enjoy the culture, try all the food, and get to know the city much better versus, like, go, go, go. And then getting, going back to that burnout. You don't want to do that.
2: We're talking to travel expert Mark Walters. Uh, Some of the other rookie mistakes or just mistakes you can make uh, regard logistics, especially when it comes to uh, your phone and your credit cards and your banking activity. Uh, You may think some of those universal worldwide brands are accepted everywhere, and then you find out the hard way they aren't.
4: Yes, because if you're a big Delta traveler on Delta Airlines, you like their American Express, which you have to realize when you go around the world, American Express is not taken very often, so you're looking at making sure you have a Visa and a MasterCard because those are more accepted. Also, make sure you always let your bank know and your credit card, not, not a credit card company know where you're going to go because you don't want to try to get money out and they say, oh, this card shouldn't be here, and it gets taken because it does happen. Another logistics thing with the money is always check the exchange rate before you go. It'll help you know if someone's trying to rip you off with the prices.
2: And then on top of that, uh, cellular conductivity and Wi-Fi. I know this was a <laughs> this was a big warning uh, that I received before my first uh, overseas trip uh, over a decade ago was make sure you turn off uh, international roaming on your cell phone or buy an overseas plan because you didn't want to have the international roaming on and then get like a $5,000 uh, cell phone bill uh, just because oh, yes. it was pigging all those overseas towers.
4: Oh, Oh, yes, and, and that does happen. I mean, I got a phone call in China because my two-year-old at the time somehow figured out how to turn the Internet back on or the wife, the uh, data back on, and AT&T called us to say, hey, you've just spent $500. You need to turn it off because the, the, the companies will not be like, oh, you didn't know. They will nail you. So make sure you go online. You can sign up for data plans when you're abroad. Uh, that can make it a lot easier so you have your phone number. But just know if you don't, you will have it will be more expensive than your flight. If you don't have that data plan. Also, I got to tell you this. Don't think free Wi-Fi is everywhere. A lot of people think they can just get free Wi-Fi, but those cafes are closed at night. If you need that Uber back, there's no Internet to get you. So having that data can be actually be a lifesaver sometimes.
2: Mark Walters, Walters World Travel and Culture. Find him on YouTube. Also a teaching associate professor of business administration at the University of Illinois Geese College of Business in Urbana-Champaign. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, an iconic breakfast treat is getting a tasty new marketing push.
1: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date.
2: So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash recommend today.
1: Listen to every MLB game live. the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is good. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Discussing
5: the news affecting your money. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
2: The inaugural Pop-Tarts Bowl will take place in Orlando December 28th. And it will include a new twist, which is an edible mascot. We're joined by Izzy Karish, president of Hospitality Works, a.k.a. the restaurant coach based in Chicago. Izzy, thank you for joining us today. Now, this is a, a marketing masterstroke, you might say, for Chicago-based uh, Nova, which is the uh, successor to uh, Kellogg's, uh, the big cereal and snack food conglomerate. And uh, it's succeeding on one front, Izzy. We're talking about it today. And it's a month, it's a month from now.
5: Right. And not only are we talking about it, everybody I know is talking about it. Lots of questions are coming up uh, with this uh, Pop-Tart uh, mascot, uh, you know, coming uh, to the game. So, Let's let's talk about uh, all the options.
2: Yeah, I was going to say the thing that makes uh, this particular. Uh, snack-based uh, college bowl game different from all the others, like the Duke's Mayo Bowl, they don't dunk the coach, the winning coach, in a big jug of mayonnaise at the end of the game. And and this used to be the Cheez-It Bowl, and I don't, I don't believe uh, uh, Cheez-Its were front and center uh, to the degree that the Pop-Tart is going to be because when the game is over, uh, the, the the team that wins is going to eat this Pop-Tart mascot that's interacting with people during the game.
5: This conceivably could be the most entertaining part of the game. Right? <laughs> I mean, they're going to have this giant Pop Tart mascot. Uh, is it going to be frosted? What's the filling? And boy, do I want to see which player is going to take the first bite out of the uh, Pop
2: Tart. And, and, and if, if that Pop-Tart is toasted uh, before the end of the game, hopefully the the person inside the living Pop-Tart will be taken <laughs> out uh, before it goes into the, into the oven for uh, that toasty goodness.
5: Well, you know, here's something that's really funny. I'm glad you mentioned that because, they, you know, if you remember back to when they used to have all the Pop-Tart commercials, they actually had a mascot for the Pop-Tart, which was Milton the Toaster. So, you know, I'd like to see if Milton's going to be there, too.
2: This could be the revival of that brand. I mean, you saw what McDonald's got out of the uh, Grimace milkshakes earlier this year, and that was just merely McDonald's introducing the Grimace milkshake, and then the Internet kind of uh, took the ball and carried it to strange new places. So I, I would imagine that the Kellogg's people or the, the Kellanova people are hoping that uh, you will watch this game and uh, comment uh, online on X or Twitter or Facebook or TikTok or what have you, And uh, and carry the the, the Pop-Tart marketing to weird new places.
5: Well, I think that they are going to see a substantial bump in the sale of Pop-Tarts. And I don't mean waiting for the game. Just talking about it today, I've called a bunch of people, we've chatted about it. Every one of us is planning to pick up a box of Pop-Tarts today. So we're already like, oh, hey, this is a great reminder of how much we love Pop-Tarts.
2: And then on top of that, I mean... the, there are so many college bowl games now. There are more opportunities to not only jump into them with sponsorships, but also come up with new and innovative ways to pre- pre- present the game. And this whole idea of the uh, of the winning team tearing into a living pop tart, much like the, uh, the 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 winning team on Thanksgiving uh, tearing into the turducken, is is one way, one new innovative way of presenting a, what could have been a forgettable contest on December 28th.
5: Yeah, I do think it's going to give uh, a lot of fans a reason to stick around for the whole game just to see how uh, this comes out and how they're going to do the whole thing. But I'm thinking, you know, is Las Vegas going to jump in and have odds on what's the flavor going to be? Is it strawberry or blueberry? Is it going to? be iced or not iced i mean there's a lot of different variations that go with us
2: i i'm, I'm just hoping that the las vegas fear just has a giant pop tart uh, <laughs> towering over the uh, vegas skyline izzy karish president of hospitality works aka the restaurant coach in chicago thank you for joining us today still ahead and travel tuesday adding a service angle to your next pleasure trip The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon, I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson has unveiled a new plan to address newly arrived migrants in the city. This is Mike Krauser. Police investigate an early morning stabbing on a CTA platform in The Loop. In Travel Tuesday, adding some volunteer work to your next trip itinerary. And Google will begin deleting inactive accounts this week. We'll discuss how you can save yours. WBBM business, the markets are mixed right now. The Dow is up 68 points. The Nasdaq is down 2. The S&P 500 up just a fraction. 22 degrees right now in Chicago under partly sunny skies, topping out at 24 with wind chills in the teens. It's 12.31, topping our news at the half hour. Mayor Brandon Johnson unveiled the new plan today to address the surge of migrants coming into the city. A network of 17 churches will soon take in dozens of new arrivals, while a priority prioritizing pregnant women and children. John Zayas is the pastor at the Grace and Peace Church on the West Side.
4: We're starting off with 17 churches, first phase, and the goal is as we increase to the demands of the city to alleviate the stress at O'Hare and some of the police stations.
2: Zayas says the process will begin tomorrow. The effort is being funded through philanthropic donations. The latest numbers released by the city today show around 1,100 migrants currently living at police stations and 150 are at O'Hare. Chicago police are investigating a stabbing at a CTA station in downtown Chicago overnight. It happened at about 3 30 a.m. at the Clark and Lake Blue Line stop. According to police, A 48-year-old man was sitting on a bench on the platform. The attacker displayed a knife and stabbed him in the abdomen. It's unclear what occurred before the man was stabbed. Police say he was taken to Northwestern Memorial where he was in good condition. Nobody is in custody. Mike Krauser, News Radio 105.9 WBBM. It's 1232 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are mixed right now, actually just back in positive territory. And joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business. Home is Jim Awad, Senior Managing Director, Clearstead Advisors, based in New York. Jim, thank you for joining us today. And we did start the day with a bit of a rally, continuing that month long trend. There was a little bit of a hiccup about an hour ago where uh, the markets went into negative territory. What's going on today, intraday, to explain that? Uh, what happened there?
6: Yeah, I think it comes down to uh, uh, the, the speech by Fed Governor Waller in which uh, uh, the initial reaction was that the Fed was going to start cutting rates. And the market got very excited about that. Uh, and, and then and the question and answer period at the end of his speech, he negated that. And, and he was basically saying he thinks we're on a, a, a good course here. We can, we can hold rates where they are, uh, but uh, no need to go further. And, and the market reacted a little bit negatively to the over-optimism it had about rate uh, cuts. And then you had another Fed Governor Bowman uh, come on and actually say that uh, uh, she was supporting possibly one more rate increase. So you got a little bit whipsawed by the Fed speakers. Uh, but the trend line uh, remains basically up. The Thanksgiving Day sales were, were were solid, so no signs of recession. Inflation is receding. The Fed is probably done. Uh, We'll probably uh, have a little bit of volatility between now and the Fed meeting in mid-December, the the, the major risk being that the bond market has gotten very bullish about uh, 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 rates stabilizing and going down. And the Fed dot plot, when it's released at the Fed meeting, might show the Fed is a little bit more aggressive than the bond market. Uh, which could be a reality check for both bond and stock prices.
2: Now, when the uh, Fed does have its meeting later this month, are we at the point in the schedule leading up to a Fed policy meeting uh, that uh, if there was to be a rate hike, that would already be telegraphed?
6: Uh, Yes, I think the the market, I think, is correctly assuming that there's not going to be a rate hike. The Fed is looking for a reason to, uh, uh, to stop. And the discussion now, I think, shifts to how long will they stay at these rates uh, will it be all of next year or only the first half of next year? At the moment, the market uh, believes that the Fed will start cutting uh, in the May-June period. And I, I think it's likely the Fed at this point is not willing to commit to that and uh, may, may want race to say uh, 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 higher for longer than the market's assuming.
2: The uh, 10-year yield was uh, dancing around 5% not too long ago. Now it's at uh, 4.3% in change. Uh, and that does affect uh, interest rates across the board for a lot of people. Uh, but a year ago, we're still 60 basis points higher than we were a year ago. What will it take to get us back to the high threes that we saw at the end of 22?
6: Either time, uh, uh, a, a long period of slow growth in the economy, where inflation grinds down, and that would probably be in the 2025 period, or to get there quicker, you need a recession. And uh, as of now, there are lots of signs of a slowdown, but no signs of a recession. So I would say time would be the base case to your question.
2: Jim Awad, Senior Managing Director, Clearset Advisors, based in New York. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Travel Tuesday, combining a fun trip with some helpful service. Information to make cash and save cash. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Travel Tuesday. In this segment, we're looking at ways to add some meaningful volunteer work to your next trip. It is Giving Tuesday, after all. We welcome in Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors, based in Scottsdale, finder online, travelbta.com. Angie, thank you for joining us today. And a service trip can take all sorts of forms from volunteering on just one day of your vacation to going on a Habitat for Humanity trip somewhere in the country.
7: There are so many great, fantastic ways to incorporate give back and also volunteerism in your travels, of course.
2: And you do a lot of work with clients, setting up uh, vacation packages for people. And in your experience, uh, when people come to you and they say, I want to have a volunteer component to this trip, uh, what are they thinking about and what do you recommend?
7: Correct. we really like to focus in on trying to dial into what resources are most needed in the destinations where our Clients travel. I'm part of an organization called Pack for a Purpose, and what Pack for a Purpose does is they allow travelers to basically gift items, usually carried in a suitcase, to different nonprofits. And separately from that, I learn about all these different vetted nonprofits, and I find that oftentimes the best resource that you can provide a nonprofit in, you know, a third world country or just where there's a need is when it relates to your expertise. So doctors being able to help with, you know, surgeries and cleft palates in markets where those surgeries are not available. Someone that speaks a foreign language or multiple languages, you know, for example, my business partner during the Ukraine war, she speaks Russian and she went and volunteered thinking that she would use her prior profession as a nurse practitioner. And instead she was there helping children who um, you know, spoke Russian and were not provided any other translators. So it's really important to sometimes look if you can utilize your expertise because you're going to be able to give in a more profound way. Um, but separately, there's so many ways to volunteer more casually with family, and that would be you know helping the environment. A lot of the the beach-related destinations allow for beach cleanups, for example.
2: And then, if you want to do this yourself, and if if you want to start doing the research and doing the homework on some uh, giving or volunteer opportunities that uh, you can pursue on your next trip, where's a good place to begin?
7: I I did mention Pat for a Purpose because they have a, a lot of vetted organizations to choose from. And then, separately, a lot of times the hotels have partnerships, and that's also a very good resource. So, if you've already chosen your destination, reach out to the hotel and see if they have a collaborative way for you to participate. It tends to make it much easier when you have the support of the hotel's concierge. So if you need help getting to the facilities where you will be helping volunteer. And then one of the things I always tell people to be cautious of, you might be helping an orphanage, for example, on a Tanzania safari. And what you might be doing is helping assemble beds. However, you might not be able to meet, meet with the orphans and really engage them because there's a lot of sensitivity involved in creating that exposure. So know that there is sensitivity when you volunteer, but know that there are ways to volunteer where you really are helping. Um, and oftentimes there's ways for you to build a relationship and stay in touch with these nonprofits when you return back home as
2: well is there a difference between a vacation that concludes a volunteer component and a straight-up service trip because i'm thinking about uh, many years ago when when my then girlfriend now wife uh went on a service trip to uh, coal country in kentucky to uh, help people repair homes is that the same thing or is there a difference between the two
7: they're extremely different. I think a volunteer trip where you incorporate more of a, a a commitment that's maybe a couple of hours or maybe you're committing for one or two days, it still might be very organized, but it's very different when you make a greater commitment, whether it's, donating your time on a rescue mission, where it might even involve criteria and filling out an application process, or you're engaging in a commitment to the Peace Corps. And then, for example, another organization that a lot of our doctor clients participate in, they'll donate their their time and their expertise to Doctors Without Borders. And there's a very different set of criteria and expectations when you are fulfilling a service obligation versus volunteering a little bit more freely um, more uh, on a leisure basis, not to say that what you can accomplish isn't going to be profound, but it is. there is quite a difference between the two.
2: Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors based in Scottsdale, Arizona. Find her online, travelbta.com. Join us at this time tomorrow for Personal Finance Wednesday and still to come while your Google email account may be going away. Compounding your interest with an economy of words. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Starting this week, Google will begin deleting inactive email accounts. Let's get an update from Jennifer Jolly, Tech Life columnist for USA Today founder and editor-in-chief of Techish.com, based in San Francisco. Jennifer, thank you for joining us today. Before we talk about how you can uh, rescue an inactive Google account, why are they doing this?
0: Well, accounts that haven't been used for two years or more are ripe for hackers. That's the biggest reason why. They they can... really get taken over quite quickly. A lot of times you use your old passwords with them, and those passwords have since been hacked. So this is a way for Google to clean up, clear out, and just kind of stop a lot of the cybercrime that's happening on these old forgotten about accounts.
2: And what is the most common form of inactive uh, email account?
0: The most common form is that email account that you set up, for when you're buying stuff online and you don't want to get a lot of spammy messages in your emails. Or maybe something that you set up for your child or at a place you worked three or four years ago. So those are pretty common. Although the other common one is accounts that you set up specifically for photos or for a subscription to Google One, a news publication, or even to an app that you signed in with with your Google account. Sometimes those can be forgotten about But that's also an easy way to keep your account active and one of the ways that you can recover it if you don't remember your password or something like that.
2: What can you do to keep those uh, accounts from disappearing forever?
0: Well, the good news is there are several steps that you can take. If you forgot your password, for example, you can recover it using a Google password recovery tool. So if you Google Google password recovery tool, it'll take you right there. You just need to answer some of those security questions to confirm that it is indeed your account. But let's say you forgot the email address. You know you have an old Gmail account out there somewhere. You forgot it. You can likely recover it using the Google account recovery tool tool. So you just have to Google, Google account recovery tool. For that one, you need a phone number or the recovery email address for the account. But if you run into trouble, Google does have a lot of help for you so that you don't lose any treasured photos, memories, uh, documents in your, in your Google Drive or any of that.
2: And uh, Google says it will uh, begin doing this in phases starting in December. And phase one, it sounds like, are the accounts that were set up and never used again.
0: Yeah, and a lot of those accounts were set up by nefarious hackers. I mean, that's one of the easiest ways to become a hacker is to create a new account every, you know, 10 minutes or so until one finally works that you can use to to steal money and information from people. So this really is a great forward step by Google to kind of put the hammer down on some of that, as well as just from some of the the cyber waste that's out there and uses up resources and and makes everything run a little slower, kind of clogs the system.
2: Jennifer Jolly, Tech Life columnist for USA Today, founder, editor-in-chief of Techish.com, based in San Francisco. Thank you for joining us today. If you missed any part of today's show, you can just go to our stream and skip back to the time you want. There's a pause and rewind function that works both online and with the Odyssey
4: app.